This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Bye week. Bye week. But we still got a little bit to talk about, though. Well, it's almost like we didn't need to do a podcast, but apparently we do. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about taking the week off. Oh, no, man. We don't want to cede everything to our 25 <laughs> competitors. That's not a good idea. That's true. Yeah. Um, Ducks, Stanford. Right. I know that they didn't run up the score on them, but I've hit this hard on my radio show all week. I've never seen an Oregon team win a game that way. I was really impressed. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, I said, I know I've said it on the side a couple times, but I firmly believe it. You know, this was the, you know, uh, win ugly versus lose pretty. You know, Oregon kind of lost pretty to Stanford last year, kind of lost pretty to Auburn this year. You could justify it because they were in the game. You know, it hurts that they lose at the end of the game, but still you kind of justify it a little bit. You know, I, I had Oregon lost to this, Stanford team this year I'm not sure how you would have justified it but um, you know I think the biggest thing that's being overlooked I, I, I wasn't a perfect game wasn't the best game they've ever played uh, but it's a win it's a it's a it's a road win it's a it's a conference opponent win it's a team that's beat you three years in a row so many great things to take away right and really the only negative is I wish the team had scored more points and I'm not saying that's wrong but it's I mean like at what point are we just being like privileged nitpicky? Yeah. I, I feel like we're entering that territory there. I, I'm almost there. Like, I just know, was this team capable of scoring 50 points on Stanford? Yeah. Sure. They were probably capable of doing the same thing to Montana. Um, but what we saw was a confirmation, because we couldn't tell for Nevada and Montana. We could not tell, okay, this right. defense is really good. Right. Because they're going up against guys that they should beat. Stanford? That's a different story. Yeah. That's that's David Shaw, and he's going to trick you with schemes and pre-snap motion and throw a lot of formations out and get your defense in a, a compromising position, and that didn't happen. No. This was, you know, you and I talked about this last week. We both agreed. This was your new measuring stick. Yeah. You, you, okay, you kind of saw where Oregon was at against Auburn. Okay, how good is Oregon? How good is Auburn? Where, where, where does that really leave us? Yeah. You know, now you go a couple weeks – you know, for Oregon, you didn't really get a great feel because it was Montana and Nevada, and they whooped up on them. And, you know, of course, the defense looked great in both those. You think, okay, defense looks great, but let's see them against better competition. You face Stanford, they hold them to six. So I guess at this point, the one big takeaway is we can say the defense is legit. You know, they are, uh, they're not even bend but don't break. They're not give up points. They're stingy. They're opportunistic. Um, they're deep. Um, it, it's not even just the first team, and then if they get an injury, they're screwed. They can sustain. Right. Know. Think about how Nick Pickett has played in the yeah. last couple of weeks. Or I, I talked about this last night on my radio show. Duck fans expect Kayvon Thibodeau to be an impact guy. Right. And they're thrilled to see Mace Funa make an impact. Right. But now Brandon Dorless is getting sacks. Exactly. They're deep, man. Yeah. You've, your defensive lines is, is as deep as I think we've ever seen it. 
Um, you know, sure, maybe it doesn't feature a DeForest Buckner on it, who, you know, obviously is a, a tremendous talent, but you've got more talent across the board than he ever played with by far. Right. Um, and deeper. And, and that's the thing, you know, defensively, it, it's a long season. Um, if your offense isn't putting up a ton of points, you're going to be counting on a lot of depth, a lot more depth. And that was always an issue with the Chip Kelly era. You had a pretty good starting defense most years, but they were on the field so many snaps, and for so long of the game, they were freaking tired. They'd get gassed in the game. They'd give up yards uh, on the ground pretty easily, especially in the second half. Uh, you know, you don't see that this year. You don't see that in this Oregon team. They communicate better, and you, and and to me. There seems to be a real sense of pride in that from them. This is a proud group. You know, they're going out there and saying, hey, we're not giving up any freaking points. Right. And, you know, it's they're going to look at each other and like, dude, do your job. We're not giving up a touchdown here. Um, that's something that goes beyond what Andy Avalos is doing or what Mario Cristobal is preaching. That's that's really an it's really a big, big part of seeing this team buy in. And, yeah. and they've definitely bought in defensively. <laughs> Offensively, here's my here's my biggest thing. Wasn't pretty, wasn't ugly, some great plays. The run game needs to be better. And and Mario Cristobal even addressed that himself. But the one thing a lot of a lot of folks are talking about is is Stanford did what a lot of teams have tried to do against Oregon. They've taken the air out of the football, as Cristobal likes to say, meaning they've tried to hold on to the ball, have sustained drives. Their game plan was to keep the game in check. <laughs> Which really, with as badly as their offense has struggled the past few weeks, that's a really, that's actually a really smart idea by David Shaw. It's like, hey, and so I, at the end, we could, we see a 21-6 score, and the game was always within reach for Stanford if they could ever get anything going. But they couldn't get anything they going. They couldn't, but the of it. if it had gotten to, you know, 40-6 to six from the get-go, they never had a chance. So I think if you're Stanford, your game plan actually worked. Your goal was to hold on to the ball and keep Oregon from allowing them to rack up points. You know, because if Oregon goes out there and puts up 40 or 50, you know you're not catching them. Mm-hmm. If Oregon goes out there and puts up 21, and then, you know, you're able to force them to make a bad snap or a, a fumble or Herbert throws a pick or just some silly mistake, you're talking about a one-score game. I mean, if you're Stanford, you're you're basically doing what Chris Ball does. Look at your cheat sheet and look at the numerics and say, okay, this is the probability of, you know, what we could do and how we could win. Mm-hmm. That was the best formula for Stanford. I, I think it's being undersold just how big of a part of this game that was in the fact that Stanford purposefully, purposefully tried to keep Oregon's defense on the field as much as they could and keep Oregon from scoring. But the, 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 the thing is, Oregon still scored, got enough points, and their defense didn't give anything up. They didn't make any mistakes. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm with you 100 percent there. Uh, you know how I feel about David Shaw. Yeah. I think he's he's good enough to to pretty much exert his will from a game plan standpoint on any coaching staff in the country. Uh, I, I still laugh a little bit though thinking about it because that's a 60 minute football game and Stanford scored six points. Right. You could have a 120 minute football game. You could have a 240 minute football game. And I feel like they'd still only score six points on that defense. Yeah, no, the you know the defense is and and again it's pick your poison. You know, do you want to go out there and you know allow Oregon to get ahead and make yourself one dimensional, uh, which you're not essentially good at. Your passing game is really not that good, and try and beat that Oregon defense. Realistically, it probably would have just 
snowballed. I mean, they just started throwing pick sixes and other mistakes that would have gone in Oregon's favor. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Stanford got back to running the football, which they needed to do. Even if their offensive line's banged up, that's your identity. That's what you, you know, that's what you lean on. And, and again, if you're running the football, you, you, you have a little better odds at not making a mistake and not costing yourself points or a huge momentum play. Again, I think that was David Shaw's game plan. Keep the game within reach. Maybe hope that you got a big play, you know, to Parkinson, or hope that maybe your running backs, you know, springed a, a long run and got you in the end zone or something like that. It's not a bad game plan in the end because at the end of the day, you kept it twenty-one to six. You kept it within some form of range. Um, but Oregon won. They went on the road. They won. Stanford's beat them three years in a row. Uh, came out of the game pretty healthy. No real major injuries that they didn't have already going into the game. And now you're in a bye week. Yeah. Now you're in a bye week and the priorities change a little bit. Though yes. Mario alluded yesterday uh, that they're not going to change that much. Not going to be too far of a deviation from Ducks game prep against a unbeaten Cal team next week. Uh, I want to talk about that today. And I also want to ask some questions uh, now with the bye that we can kind of look big picture on duck football, see where this team is and, and where you think this team is going. First thing for you, Justin, mm-hmm. uh, when Andy Avalos was hired, we both said this is a home run. Right. This guy is going to come in and he's going to improve that defense and the rest of the country will take notice. Yeah. Do you still stand by that? Is is Andy Avalos going to be in the running for some coaching jobs? Um, that's going to be up to Andy Avalos. And, and I've, I know I've said this before. Uh, look, when I listen to him talk after interviews and, and, and practices and whatnot, I, I just see a, a, a younger version of Mario. Just the way he's simplistic mm. with how he answers. He's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of fluff. Hey, look, we're doing a good job, but we need to do better at this. It needs to be consistent. Right. We want to elevate this group. You know what I mean? Just keep pushing the standard. Because once you kind of settle... I mean, you're, you know, they're, what, you know, what are you doing? You know, and so I really see, and I don't think that's anything necessarily that he's absorbed from Mario in the time he's been here. I think that's his DNA. That's just his who make. Is, who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're very similar in that regard. I think that's why they get along so well. You know, I think these two are on the same page probably nine out of ten times. There's probably very little like, you know, what are you doing over there, Andy? It's probably like, oh, that's that's great. Let's let's do that. You know. Yeah. Um. And the, and the cool part is I don't think he's done anything drastic to this defense. I think he's done the opposite. I think he's really simplified things for this unit, for, for all three levels. I think he's simplified things. Nothing super exotic. And the communication is at an all-time high, and I think that's really an undersold element here. Uh, you know, we've heard them talk about it a little bit, but you can see the guys on the field communicating with one another whether it's ism or die or, or holland you can see out the guys out there communicating knowing their assignment and then knowing where the guy next to them is supposed to be and you see him pointing it out all the time and and that's just such a you know oregon so far defensively haven't given up many chunk plays i don't have the statistic in front of me but that's something that they've definitely prided themselves on and done a good job probably haven't forced as many turnovers as they as they've liked but they're they're not giving up yards. They're not giving up chunk plays, and those things stand out to me a great deal. I think the turn. I think the turnovers are going to come. Right. That's kind of the next element here. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say, which isn't really answering your question yet, which I understand. Uh, I don't even think we've seen a fraction of what Andy Avalos 
can and will do as a defense. You know, I think we'll see a lot more twisting and stunning up front and just, you know, a little bit more exotic with some of his blitzes. I think those things will come, but, you know, there's there's a, a bad recipe there for putting too much on a team right away. You know, you don't want to go out and change an offense and put everything in from the first week. Right. It's not going to work. You have to you have to transition. You have to grow mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I, a couple points that stand out to me there. Simplification, I'm with you all the way on – I think back to Saturday, and we all expected Kayvon Thibodeau to be a, a, a fun freshman. Like, he was going to have a couple sacks this year, make a couple wow plays, and just kind of be fun. We never expected Kayvon Thibodeau to be an impact guy his first year. At least I didn't. Um, but, but one thing that just popped out to me was how comfortable they were with Kayvon Thibodeau dropping back in coverage yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. That says to me that he is absorbing the lessons from his coaching staff and 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 that they're able to reach a true freshman who shouldn't be able to do all that his first year. Right. If they can reach him with no college football experience, they can reach everybody else on that defense and do some pretty amazing things. Yeah, I, I, you know, again, I'll go back to what I said a few minutes ago. I think we're just scratching the surface of the Andy Avalos defense. You know, I think at Boise State, you know, he'd been there for a few years, so they were probably running more at Boise State than they are here of his defense. Um, I, I think the best is yet to come. And, and ultimately, to answer your question, I've, you know, I've met with Avalos, you know, talked to him, uh, you know, been in a class that he's taught, you know, as far as him talking and just some of the, the schemes and, and, and things that he does. And, really? And, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've come away with this. I've, I've come away with he's a dude who loves football. I mean, first and foremost, he loves football. He loves coaching football. He loves being out there with the guys. He loves coaching football. He specifically loves coaching defense. That's his pride and joy. And, you know, I've said this before, when you become the head coach, uh, even though Mario Cristobal is an offensive line coach at heart, he's still got to deal with everybody. I, you know, he's pretty hands-on with the offensive line. Right. But he's had to let that go to a degree to Mirabal and the, and the GAs and the analysts. Um, as far as Avalos goes, I think Oregon is obviously going to renegotiate a salary for him. I do believe he will get interest and potential offers from suitors probably after this year, especially if Oregon continues to win and look the way they do. I think that's natural. And that's what Oregon fans should be hoping for is that all of the assistants on the staff is getting offers or interest from other schools, because that means things are going right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what happens at Alabama. I mean, those guys are getting, you know, Pruitt, you know, what Kirby smart, everybody's right. There's a reason Saban has to turn over his staff every year. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a reason. And it's a good reason. It, the good reason is because they're great coaches and they're doing a magnificent job at Alabama. Same, you know, goes for Oregon. If, if, if your defense has improved and is improving, that's a great problem to have, but it means that you have great coaches and Oregon does have great coaches across the board. So, you know, Oregon, I know this Mario Cristobal is very smart when it comes to financials, contracts, coaching, you know, one bad contract, as we saw with Jim Levitt really can negatively impact a program. And I don't just mean one element of the program. It can really negatively impact you. If you've got a, a coach that you're paying a large sum of money, 
you know, that's a big chunk of money that you can't use elsewhere, whether it be keeping other assistants or hiring a new guy or your recruiting department or whatever, it's all intertwined. And so, uh, of course, in a perfect world, yeah, Oregon would love to keep Andy Avalos and they would love to keep him forever. But at some point, the cost doesn't, you know, will outweigh the benefit. So that's obviously going to be the key when that time. I I think he's going to get offers. Will it be Boise State? I don't know. I think Boise State's the one you got to look out for, but um, you know I don't think a USC or anybody's going to come calling next. That's a pretty big jump mm. at this point in his career. Yeah. You know, three or four years down the line, you, you know that's a different answer. If if there was a connection to USC, I would disagree, but I, sure. I agree with you there. Of I think I think he could contribute at USC. Sure. I don't know if he'd be on their radar right now. No. Um, another point there, and and this one does scare me for for Andy Avalos. There's a uh, a comparison to Cristobal, and I talked about this before Mario got the head coaching job at Oregon. Uh, he used to do pregame interviews with Joey Mack, who's the Ducks sideline guy and does a lot of their pregame coverage on the radio. And I remember listening to this and thinking, this guy doesn't sound like a line coach. This guy doesn't sound like an assistant coach. He sounds like a head coach. Right. He just had that thing that head coaches have the way they speak and and the things that they do and their actions and their personality just everything made me think this guy should be a major college football coach and I remember saying that to Joey um, because I'd interview him for my radio show and I would say man you know if something ever happens to Taggart this guy is going to get an offer somewhere and lo and behold Willie bolts right and mario ends up being the guy and i i I remember hitting on that a couple times with with duck fans here on my show if you compare him to mario already to me that's a sign maybe this guy uh, does he want to be a head coach that's the question right but if he sounds like mario and he acts like mario He's probably got the personality like Mario to be a really good coach. Yeah, I think for someone to be as young as Avalos is, um, you know, and come in and have guys that have coached a lot longer on the defensive side of the ball and and really instantly buy in, it says a lot about Avalos. That yeah. you know, clearly he knows what he's talking about. He's got he's able to relate to these guys, um, you know, and they, and they, and they believe in what he's doing. So you know, that's the, like you said, there's a certain characteristic of of leaders of people that are in leadership that that you know there's a it's just and and not to pound on him mark helfrich doesn't have it right great ball coach great coordinator yeah yeah can scheme up all the best plays in the world yep but how about that halftime speech right yeah. or or how about the off-season program right. how are you going to get your seniors motivated to work out in the dog days of spring right when they don't have to by no, all accounts no. yeah um you know like you said it, it's there there are certain people uh you know that have that ability to be a leader and uh you know mario's got it i think andy avalos has it it's going to be up to him on you know getting away from from coaching ball because you know yeah as a head coach you still coach some ball but not like when you're an assistant or even a coordinator you know you're in there every day doing that stuff in the film room and instead, you're a head coach, so then you've got to handle recruiting, you've got to handle budget, you've got to handle personnel, you've got to handle this kid who's not getting his academics done, you've got to handle, you know, one of your players just had a baby, so you got to figure out that situation. You know what I mean? There's, it's like, okay, wait a second here. There's, you know, 
I'm a CEO of a, you know, of, of 15 different apartments now. And that's essentially what you're doing. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's some guy, clearly Dabo Swinney figured out, he identified two guys that are really good at what they do, offensive and defensive coordinator, but don't have the ambitions of being a, a head coach somewhere, you know, because, and, and so he's rewarded them well to stay there. I think everybody's happy. Great relationship. Hey, go do your thing. We're going to go win some ball games. Um, you know, uh, there are guys that are that way, but you know, this is such an alpha male type of group. When you're talking about coaches, these guys are all alpha males and you know, that's, it's very unique to find guys that Cle- like Clemson has. Usually you're doing what Alabama does and that's replacing your offensive coordinator every year, every other year, you know, replacing your defensive coordinator or promoting a guy. I mean, just, and that's a great problem to have, but when you win and you're, and you're doing well, you know, you're going to get that type of talent that wants to come coach for you. It's a great problem to have. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit thinking about Uncle Mario Cristobal walking into the hospital and saying hi to all these new duck dads. That's kind of a funny idea. Yeah. No. It, yeah. It's, <laughs> people forget that. It's such a human element. You know, we, okay. You know, this is a football player. He should be out there practicing and lifting weights and playing football. It's like, man, this, you know, this kid's got a mom and a dad or, you know, an uncle or a grandma and, and family and girlfriends and you know kids you know there are i don't know there's three or four or five guys on the team now that have kids another i mean that's just they're adults there's nothing wrong with that yeah they're young i mean it i mean you know there's such a human element that we just overlook all the time we expect football 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 they should be training they should be working out they should be running they should be lifting go do a little bit of schoolwork. go back eat right you know what i mean and and i get it it's it's big boy football it's it's high level football but there's still I mean, there's still such a human element to it that you just, you know, you, 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 you gotta, you, you, you gotta remove yourself a little bit from it, sort of yeah. at times. Talk about removal. Removal, I think is a, a word that comes to mind when I watch that Penne Suell highlight from oh, Saturday geez. where he just removed that guy's soul from his body. Yeah. That, that was a violent hit. And he's done it. I mean, what a half dozen times. And, <laughs> and I'm not saying he's had a half dozen pancakes cause that's a whole different statistic. He's had a, a half dozen or so of like, like you said, removing the soul out of the defender. Like, oh my goodness, man, you're not going to be walking right tomorrow. No, no. <laughs> After he's what an animal, and you gotta. Lo- I mean, like, hey, I mean, you've gotta love that his development in just a short time he's been at Oregon. I mean, his brother Noah Sewell's got to be going. Oh crap, those guys are developing over there. Yeah, and they're building a good football team. Yeah, you know, I know he's got his offers. He's got Georgia. He's got Notre Dame. All those guys do a good job of that stuff, but. Um, I mean, when your brother's there and you have a chance to play with your brother, I think that's pretty special. So so you're close to Mario, mm-hmm. and I don't have to poke and prod you about it. I mean, it's one of your calling cards at Scoop Duck. You're, you're plugged into that coaching staff. When they got Penn A, mm-hmm. did Mario do a backflip? Did, did he know he was going to draft or going to recruit maybe the number one overall lineman in a couple of years? I don't, you know, from my understanding is, first off, he was excited. It was a big win. That was kind of, and we're talking about recruiting. We're not talking about actual football, but it was a statement win for them to get Panay Sewell over Alabama, over USC. He had every offer, was looking at those schools. Um, you know, and Mario's done it a few times, but that was a big, big, big one, a national one. Um, you know, I, I know he's very excited and saw a lot of potential in Panay, but I don't, nobody saw this. I mean, this is a a young man that's shown up and worked his ass off and, and kudos to him. He's totally bought in. He's reshaped his body. He's, he's in much better physical condition. I mean, you look at him 
and sure he's 300 pounds but from, from big to freakishly big yeah he, but i mean it's <laughs> not like he's a mountain of a man if he if he takes his shirt off you'd be like holy crap you know this dude's not like you know padded he's he's big and he's pretty well built um just for his body to transform like it has and for him to be performing at this level i don't think anybody expected that especially in this short amount of time but he's certainly got a lot gotten you know one of the big things you hear in recruiting now is development you know washington's always preaching we develop our guys we yeah they develop defensive backs they do a great job there but you know i i think you're seeing you know you're seeing a lot not just in Sewell. I mean, look at, you know, Brandon Dorless, look at Jordan Scott, look at, you know, Austin Folio. These guys are developing under the coaches currently at Oregon. Look at Diamador right. Lenore and Thomas Graham. Look at how they've developed under Dante Williams since he's been there. You know, look at Javon Hall and how he's developed, you know, with Keith Hayward. There are good, and, and I just singled out a few, but there are good quality coaches at Oregon that aren't just recruiting, they're developing. That's really the next phase that Oregon needs is develop these guys and get them in the NFL. How far does Penne develop? Do you see him as a, a top 10 pick? I think he's a top 10 pick if he could come out now. I mean, I just, I don't know how he couldn't be. Uh, and, and you know, I mean, you can't say he hasn't played against competition. He played against Stanford. He's played against Auburn. You know, sure, he's going to beat up Nevada and Montana guys. But he's, I mean, he's played against, we're not just seeing Penne will beat up on, you know. No, he's mauling some of the best defenses in the country. Yeah, he's mauling dudes and, uh, you know, respectable football players. And so, you know, in my opinion, I think if he was eligible, you're talking about a top ten pick because let's face it, you know if you're, you know if you're a defensive back with length, if you're a you know a home run wide receiver, if you're a quarterback, or if you're a left tackle, you got a spot in the NFL or pass rusher. Right. You know those are just key. There's just some key spots that are going to get bumped way up draft boards because of you know value and necessity. Yeah, makes me think that I know somebody's going to be in his ear next year saying. Oh, yeah. You're going to be a top five, top ten pick. You're going to be making three, five million guaranteed. You got to jump at it. Yeah, I mean the only, the only, the only way I believe, and this we're obviously we're talking about something way down the line. The only way I believe you can keep a Panay Sewell for longer than his third year is if his brother Noah's there and if there's a shot at a title. You know, if 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 that's legitimately there and the staff can convince him, maybe you got a shot. But I, man, I it. If you're top five, I mean, I know Herbert came back, which I think is pretty unique. You know, the chance that, again, the chance to play with his brother, you know, and some, you know, I think there's some title aspirations there. I think Oregon's pretty realistic, but I mean, look, I mean, they're three and one and the only loss is a six point loss to Auburn. I mean, you can't say that there's not potential there. And I think in hindsight, too, and and maybe this is me just going a little too inside, but in hindsight, you could say he wasn't going to be the number one overall pick. Right. Because the Cardinals had Kingsbury. Sure. And Kingsbury wanted his guy, right. Kyler Murray. And now you have an opportunity. Uh, Denver loves Justin Herbert. If they get the first overall pick, I think that's that's an easy pick for them. Yeah. I think Miami loves Justin Herbert. Same deal. Uh, they see a lot of Jimmy G and Brady in him. And they got a, a Belichickian Patriot kind of staff that they're building. If he goes now... He's the number one overall guy, right? Whereas he didn't really know that last year. Yeah, I mean, is this you know we had the suck for luck, but is this like the bust in for Justin or something? I don't know. You know <laughs> I like I mean, that. Yeah, I don't did know. You, did you come up with that, or yeah. somebody on the boards? Come no, up with I that. haven't seen it yet. That's no. I just was sitting here thinking. It was like, well, I remember the suck for luck a few years ago, which right. well, I guess it was more than a few years ago. But um, 
10 years ago. God, that gives Well, no, it really was a few years ago. That's what makes his retirement so crazy. Yeah. I don't blame He's a smart kid. He's actually, yeah, that's a crazy. But anyways, besides that, yeah, I mean, you know, how many teams are, are yeah, I, you know, Justin Herbert's not a fit for what, you know, King, Kingsbury was going to do at Arizona because if, if Herbert's a fit, then Rosen probably would still be there. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There's so much that goes into draft. You know, you never know what the report says when you get it back. You know, that you know, for Justin in his particular case, your younger brother's coming to town. It's kind of fun to play a season with him, I'm sure. You know, you're in your hometown first and foremost. Mom and dad are around the block. Right. So it's not like you're playing football, you know, somewhere across the country. Mom and dad are right around the corner. You can go home anytime you want and see him and have dinner and have mom do your laundry. That is such an underrated aspect <laughs> too, is, of, yeah. of his situation. Right. Like I would have killed for that when yeah, I was in college. And it's a family that grew up you know, cheering for the Ducks and, and you know, understandably. So uh, pretty unique situation. That's the thing. People want to general generalize, you know, all these situations. And, and you can't. They're all, they're all kids. They're all different, different personalities, different, you know, life factors. There's just so much human element going on to it. To make generalizations about what these kids should and shouldn't do is just, you know, maybe Noah Sewell ends up at Oregon and everybody's going to automatically assume Panay stays because his brother there. Because Justin did. Well, they're two different kids. Right. You know, their family's back in Utah. They're not in Eugene there. Um, I mean, you, just, you don't know. Yeah. And it's not their first rodeo either. I no. Mean, that whole family, if if the if I get the sense, we interviewed their dad, you know. Yeah. My sense is if he just touches his hand on a kid, they get drafted in the NFL. They get the or, bloodlines, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by week, that's a big recruiting week for the Ducks. It is and it isn't. It used to be, well, okay, I shouldn't say it used to be. It has been bigger in the past. And so if we heard Cristobal touch on this. Um, if you are USC or UCLA, just for example, you're in Los Angeles. You can send coaches out on a Friday night and it's a, it's a night trip. They can go out and watch a football game or two, come back and be, be in bed and ready for the next day's I'm game. I'm really glad you're hitting on this point. Sorry, I Oregon can't. You. Yeah, Oregon can't. I mean, you're, you're not sending coaches to Portland very often. There's nobody in Eugene, Southern Oregon. So anytime you're co- sending your coaches out, they're hopping on an airplane. And sure, you can do some, you know, uh, you know, down and back trips, but you're you're wearing them out. You know what I mean? They're, th- that's time that they're not able to focus on the game and study on the game or even go and have time with family and just kind of decompress. You know, hey, I need to eliminate football for four or five hours and go have a dinner and ask my kids how they're doing. Right. Um, so totally different, you know, way Oregon has to handle things, you know, yeah, yeah, they do have a bunch of commits, which probably helps a little bit. Most of them seem pretty solid at this point. Um, you know, so this week, you know, you've seen Oregon go out on the road for like all week on a bye week and do that. You know, they've been, they've, they, a lot of them went out Sunday night, spent like half a day on Monday or three quarters of a day on Monday somewhere and came back and then worked Tuesday, Wednesday, and today. A lot of them, you know, some of them have left or leaving this afternoon. We're recording this midday on Thursday. Some of them will leave this evening. Some of them might leave tomorrow morning, but they'll go out for a day or two, hit a few schools, come back. Right. Mario's got all eyes on Cal. He's, I mean, you know, it's, I don't think folks have truly caught on how much energy he's putting into a winning season. And sure, the recruiting and all that was great, but really, You've shown you can recruit. You know how to recruit. You know how to go get guys. Your next step in recruiting or or even pushing your recruiting is winning football games. You can't do that when you're out on the road. So right. 
you know, there's a delicate balance there. It doesn't mean that Mario's not texting back recruits or whatever he's allowed to do, but there's a little bit more emphasis placed on the team, especially with an undefeated top 15 team coming to town next week. I'm, I'm really glad you went there first because that was my big takeaway from the press conference yesterday. Um, Mario saying we might do some stuff during the week, but we're not going to send guys all over the country on Fridays right. and, and do a whole lot on Fridays. And that just blew my mind. I, I, I wanted to know more why. And, and you hit the nail on the head of yeah. you might go to Portland and there's Demir Collins. Sure. And there's nobody else. Right. You might go to Southern Oregon and you might find a Chase Coda every couple of years. Every few years, yeah. But not every year. Right. And you're not going to find five of them laying right. around. You know, that's that's one week of your schedule checked off the box. What else are you going to do? Yeah. You got to put them on planes. And then you're talking about red eyes and guys getting back either early in the morning, late at night, whatever right. the case. You know, they're, they're And tired. Larry Scott wants them to get ready for a 9 a.m. kick. Right. Yeah. Then they got to kick off at 9 a.m. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, I like that there is a seems to be a little bit more emphasis on the actual element of football. You know, it's it's it, it's what's next. You've got to win the football games. And at that point, you start doing that and the recruiting is going to actually get easier. It's going to get easier to sell your program instead of, hey, we're rebuilding. Hey, we're knocking on the door. You know, we need a couple more dudes and we can push this thing to the top and then they're not catching us. And that's right. that's really what Oregon's looking at. It's not there yet, but that's, I mean, when you're bringing in dudes like Doralis and Mace Funa and Mikel Wright and Micah Pittman and those guys, that elevates this program. You bring one or two more classes in behind them, and you've put yourself in position to become very difficult to deal with uh, for a, a long time. There's a name that I want to ask you about, Micah Pittman. Uh, reports are that he's getting healthy again. And yeah. Mario talked about it yesterday in the presser. A lot of people think that we might see him against Cal next week. Uh, what what kind of contribution do you expect from him? It sounds like if we're just talking about it today, we're talking about it on Thursday, it sounds like out of Schooler, Pittman, and Juwan Johnson, Pittman probably has the best shot of playing is what it sounds like. Wow. I think Schooler's probably right, but, you know, Johnson, you never, you just don't know. You, you know, he's kind of an enigma at this point, you know. Um and, and I get it. You got to be careful with a guy like that. You can't rush him out there. Um, and so for me, I'm just not going to count on it until I see him out there on the field. Pittman, but even then, Pittman, by most accounts, was made, if he wasn't the best receiver in fall camp, he was definitely the top two. You know, he's the most talked about guy. And, and I think to expect him to come out, I have a tough time with this. This is a good question because we know Pittman and the – and the competitive side of him and the fact that he's just a fiery dude. He's just an intense, fiery dude. Right. I don't, I mean, he literally has two speeds, zero and a hundred and nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? He's one of those guys. He's a hundred miles an hour or he's, you know, zero. He's not at all. And so, um, I believe from ex past experience, if you expect him to go out and catch six, seven, eight balls, his first, Pac-12 game as a true freshman coming off an injury. I don't think that's realistic. He might be a little nervy, you're I, saying. Yeah, I think he's going to try for that. But you also have to have chemistry with the quarterback. You know, you've got you, and for, you, further than that. You might not love him, but you got to go out there and you got to take reps from Red or uh, Johnny Johnson. Um, you know, you got to go out there or or you know Brian Addison. You got to go out there and three guys that have started 
not had many drops, a couple, but not many. They've been a much better group. Yeah. Um, you know, making plays. You got to go out there, basically say, "Hey, I'm better than you." You got, you know, the coaches have no choice but to put me on the field. Right. So, no, you know, I think everybody needs to temper their expectations. It does nothing but help this football team, no question. But you know, if you're counting on him to be the savior and thinking. Oh, the difference between Oregon scoring 21 against Stanford and scoring 45 is Micah Pittman. Well, that's not fair. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jake Hansen was hurt. I think that's a much bigger part of this than Micah Pittman going out there. If you can get Jake Hansen back out there, not only is he a better center than Throckmorton, that's why he plays it. Now you push Throckmorton back to his right tackle spot. Throckmorton's a much better right tackle than anybody that was out there on Saturday. You know, I think that's a really under under talked about part of this is the Jake Hansen injury. Throckmorton did a great job. I'm not picking on him. He's probably the best replacement center in the country, mm-hmm. but he's not Jake Hansen. And then not only then, not only did you get a little worse at center, you got way worse at right tackle, which is where he normally plays. So, you know, I, I think that was a big part of the, the the difficulty in the run game against Stanford as well was the the offensive line. You hit on that savior complex that, that some have with Micah Pittman. Mm-hmm. And I understand it because we interviewed the young man and, and he impressed both of us. Love him. I love yeah. him. Yeah. I think yeah. he's going to be a great one. But we're talking about game one. True freshman. True freshman coming off an injury. Yeah. Yeah. It's, let's let's be realistic here. I said it this way on my radio show. As, as glowing, as great, as wonderful as all those practice reports were in August when Rob Mosley and, and us and and uh, all the other guys are talking about how great Micah is. I was kind of concerned that a true freshman could come in and all of a sudden be the greatest receiver in the Ducks offense. Yeah, yeah. What does that say about everybody else on that offense? Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question he's definitely, as a true freshman, even one of the best receivers on the team. I mean, there's no question about that. But again, we're talking about a group that has widely been tagged as probably the weakest element of this Oregon team as wide receivers. And... I think they're getting better. You know, Johnny Johnson's had a heck of a, of a year. I'm I'm really excited about it. But again, my comparison is, is how many of these guys would start? Well, okay, I'm not going to use USC because that's a bad example. They've got an all-world preseason. <laughs> but I mean, how many of these guys? Nobody could start at USC. Yeah, but how many of these guys would legitimately start, you know, on most other Pac-12 teams? And I think right. you get a real mixed bag there. And to be elite, you're you want. I mean, you're not always going to have what USC has this year. That's a pretty special group. But you want to have upper echelon guys that basically there might only be one or two teams they're not starting on. And Oregon doesn't have that. They mm-hmm. don't. Not a receiver. Um, and so uh, you know that's the that's the thing. But yeah, you know we got to we got to temper expectations with Micah Pittman. We got to temper expectations with Jawan Johnson if and when he gets out on the field. You know, again, here's a guy that's got a lingering injury, had problems at Portland State or excuse me, Penn State. We had him on the podcast. I loved what he had to say. I think he was he was very honest about what needed to be fixed. But again, you're talking about guys that need need work and need their expectations tempered. I think they can help this team, mm-hmm. but helping this team and saving this team are two completely different elements. Right. Yeah, and, and honestly, my big takeaway from the Stanford game, I don't think this team needs anybody to save them. No. I, I think that right now, and and this is going to be a big litmus week of just finding out whether or not this is true with uh, USC playing Washington and Cal playing ASU. Right now, I think the Ducks are unquestionably the Pac-12 favorites. Oregon needs two things, in my opinion, offensively. Oregon needs two things. The the backs need a little bit better vision 
with running. I'm not saying that's everything, but I'm saying that's probably one of the biggest critical factors at this point. I see it too. I'm, you know, Mario Chris Ball sees it too. The backs need a little bit better vision on when to jump cut, when to jump cut, you know, when to maybe not just run straight into the the hole they were told to run into. Right. There's a nuance for the zone scheme. Yes, there's a nuance. The the second thing that I'll I'll, I'll say is like, you know, one uh, B with that. That's one A, and I'll say this is one B. Herbert's got to keep a couple of those uh, reads. He's got he's got to pull the ball and run a couple times. He doesn't have to run a bunch, but he easily against Stanford could have had a hundred yards on two or three carries and could have slid at the end. I mean, non-threatening, and and I think he's a little bit afraid to. I mean, I think after the um, the fumble with Ferdell in, in Auburn, I think he's a little bit gun shy there, and he he just he needs to. I mean, he just flat out needs to. And I'm not picking on Herbert. That's the one element he needs to do better at. Yeah. Uh, second thing Oregon needs offensively, they, they need a deep threat. They need a legitimate deep threat wide receiver. Uh, uh, and and they don't have one unless the play call sets it up. And, and so, you know, don't get me wrong. I've loved some of the Jake Breland touchdowns, but those are really by design. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, he's gone and made some ridiculous play. He's been in the right spot and Herbert's hit him. You right. know, he's wide open on a couple of them. Like, like you're saying – there's a difference between having that guy that a defensive coordinator has to take seriously yes. and bracket and coverage yes. and design coverages to stop versus a play where you just flood the deep middle of the field. You have, you know, like an air raid play, four verts is the one that, that pops out to me. Right. Uh, famous Saban had that national championship game where they, uh, they beat Georgia, and you can hear him. You lip read him, and he says, "F it, let's just throw four verts." And that's when Tua has the touchdown pass. Um, plays like that; those are designed deep plays. Yeah, that's not thrown just because. Oh, I have a guy that beat my guy. He's a deep threat. Right. You just you had four deep routes. Yeah. You as as Oregon has seen so far, you do not have a wide receiver that has demanded that the defensive backs back up. Right. They're all coming up in the box. They There is not a deep threat that says, hey, back your guys up or we're going to make you pay. I think Micah Pittman can do that. Doesn't mean he's the savior. I think he can add that element that Oregon's missing because yeah. as much respect as I've given Johnny Johnson, and I appreciate everything he's done, and I, and I think Jalon Red's a, 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 a solid slot guy. I think Pittman can be that guy where he actually stretches the field, and I think that's going to be where his real vibe. Now, everybody's going to go, he's going to have some big plays because of that, and I think people are going to anoint him the next coming, and you can do that if you want. I think he's just going to fill a void that Oregon currently doesn't have from the starting receivers right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, those, those are my, that's my 1A, 1B, and number two thing that the offense needs. Pittman's going to help out there. If the backs can get a little better vision, I think that will help uh, also to help them. I think if Herbert keeps a couple of these uh, zone reads, uh, instead of just handing it off every time, he's going to push the defense back a little bit too and, and suck the linebackers out instead of it being such a crowded uh, middle. But what do I know? Oh, you know a lot. Man. No, man. Run your own yeah. site, scoopduck.com, <laughs> Justin yeah. Hopkins. Uh, I feel really good about everything that's happened so far. I think we hit it, man. Oregon won. That's at the end of the day Oregon, Oregon won. won. They they won, stayed relatively healthy. They're 3 and they're, you know, 3 and 1, you know, looking good in conference play. Take the win and keep going, you know. If you guys want to nitpick it, you can nitpick it, but at the end of the day, you <laughs> you better at least appreciate the fact that your team's 3 and 1 and beat Stanford on the road. Uh, a positive, but kind of forcefully positive Jayhawk right. today. Yeah, uh, five games. Five games. All right.
We do this every week. We take a break from the Ducks for a couple minutes and share the other five games, uh, five favorite games every Saturday across the world of college football. Uh, Justin, you go first. Okay. I'll give you a couple, and then I'll let you go. That way it's not just like I read my list. We'll go back and forth. How's <laughs> sure, that? Sure. So I'll give you my first three, and then you can give me – if you. hopefully you've got some left from that. Uh, ASU at Cal on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I'm figuring. I already, yeah. already teased that one earlier. Yeah, ASU at Cal. I think uh, uh, I think Cal's a good football team. I don't think they're a top 15 team. I think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors there, but I think they're good. Yeah. So it's definitely not – you know, in my – it's not one that Oregon – fans can overlook it's definitely a game that you're gonna have to play a good game for but um so that said i think asu can hang with them and i think it will be an interesting game friday it's 7 30 it's on espn uh i think it should be an entertain entertaining game although it could be kind of boring from a scoring perspective I, I guess it shouldn't be exciting in that way but i think it could be close i think asu keeps it closer than most things three things that stand out to me from that game one is the herm edwards factor yeah he's a madman you, you can't predict anything with Herm. Number two, you got Pac-12 after dark right. in a Friday game. Right. And the third angle, you hit on it. Cal is 15 in the polls, right. but they're probably not the 15th best team in the country. No. And I think that gets to – I don't know if you contribute to any polls, but I do this um, uh, locally with the state oh, high yeah. school polls. And what I notice is there's two kinds of voters. There's the the guy that will vote based on, I don't care what the record is. I know this team has X amount of talent. Right. Right. Um, and then there's the guy that just says, well, who has the best record? Right. And they vote based on record. Yeah. And they don't really factor in, was that a quality win or is that a talented team? They just look at who's unbeaten. Yeah. And I, I think that's why Cal's 15 right now. It has really nothing to do with their talent level. They're 3-0. Oh. It's their 3-0. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they're 3-0. and oh, uh, And they beat Washington. And as much as they beat Washington, I'm not going to take that away from them. As much as they beat Washington, that was just a weird, funky game. Like, I don't care who you are. That's a weird – they don't play games at 1 o'clock in the morning for a reason. Okay? <laughs> There's a reason they don't – so I'm not saying it gave Cal an advantage. It didn't give Cal an advantage. It was still just a funky game. Can, can you say that part louder for Larry Scott? Yeah, yeah. They don't play 1 a.m. Game, 1 a.m. games for a reason. Right. My goodness. They don't play 9 a.m. games either. That's a travesty. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I think that one's going to be interesting. Like you said, I think a lot of pollsters are giving them a lot of credit for, for a win over Washington that they probably honestly didn't even know was being played at one in the morning and for being three and So I agree with you there. I, I, I start to wonder who actually watches any freaking football anymore because I, I mean, from the get go, I'm watching Michigan going, those guys suck. Why the hell are they a top 10 team? And then they go, you know, it finally took Wisconsin blasting them for a bit. Oh, yeah, they're not very good. That might have been the best week of predictions for you ever, right. by the way. It's like, you, no shit, they're not very good. You nailed it on your locking in for the Ducks. We'll get to that a little bit later. And then you told me on air and off air that you don't gamble on sports, but you really wanted to gamble against <laughs> Michigan. I did. Yeah, that would have been a moneymaker. Yeah. Because it was like three and a half points or something stupid. It was ridiculous. It was, it was like, ridiculous. oh, my, this is easy money. Uh, so anyways, um, back to the, uh, I know what both have Virginia and Notre Dame. I, I know that Notre Dame played Georgia. Well, I know it was, I still, I think Georgia's overranked. I think Notre Dame's still overranked. Mm -hmm. I just, I just do. Right. I, I, I don't think they're grossly overranked. I just don't think they're that good. I think that the loss in Athens last week taught us just like last year, there is a gulf 
there is a, a divide where there's probably 10 teams that can say we are New Year's Six caliber. Yeah. And there's really only three or four teams that can say we're national title caliber. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Notre Dame is not in that group. No, no. You you make a great point. There's a pretty significant uh, significant margin between those three or four and then the next group. And then the, then the group after that, which is like where Cal and stuff is at, is right. another big, you know, big step away. So, yeah, you know. I'm not going to sit here and argue that Oregon is a national championship caliber team. I don't think they are. I think they're in that four to 10 group though. I think they're in there. You know, I think they'll get there eventually. I think they're in there and Auburn's in there too. Um, but yeah, you're, you're talking about uh, Alabama, Clemson and Oklahoma and probably Ohio state. They're in a class of their own, in my opinion. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. And LSU's mm, close. LSU's close. I, I'm not sold. But they're close. I think Oregon could beat LSU. I think the problem for LSU is is not so much talent level. I think it's schedule. Yeah. Of of it's really hard for me to fathom two teams in the SEC West making it to the playoff. Right. But they'll do it. We. I mean, we know they'll do it. We know they wouldn't put. I don't know. Well, we know they wouldn't put a Pac-12 North and a Pac-12 South team into the into the. No. Yeah. Well, you not when not when USC loses to BYU. No, I'm just saying, but they they'd put two SEC teams in there. We know that for a fact. Uh, So I'll give you one more that I'm going to assume we both have USC at UW. Yes. No brainer. That's a no brainer. No brainer. Twenty one versus seventeen. If you had to rank out of the five, your number one game of the week. That one's mine. Yep, I'm with you. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, you know, that's the thing. So we know where Oregon's at. Like we we've got the measuring stick for where I don't think we know where USC's at, and we don't know where Washington's at. This is the chance to kind of okay, you know, is Washington that for real? Was Cal a fluke game? Was it a you know a midnight fluke game? You know, USC. Sure, you know, you you beat up on 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 Stanford. Um, Utah is a quality win. You, you stun Utah. That's yeah, a quality win. It it is and it isn't. I I thought Utah played a terrible game. I mean, you know, and I'm just, I just thought they played a terrible game. I'm not trying to take it away from USC. It just, they just played a terrible game. Um, so yeah, I think this is a great chance to get a measuring stick for both of them. Um, you know, for both these teams, I'm still not ready to buy in on USC just yet. No question, they've got as the best receiving talent. Probably in the country, no question. I'm still not ready to buy in on USC. I think anybody who game plans against their offensive line being relatively weak can beat them. But we'll see. I, I, and I think Washington can do that. Washington's, and not to mention, Washington's got the DBs. I think it's the kind of game where if it was coach versus coach, I like Washington. Yeah. I think, I think oh, Chris yeah. Peterson is miles ahead. You're talking of, about a 10 versus a 2. Yes, yes. <laughs> But in terms of talent yeah. and in terms of do I trust the players to execute right. what their coaches tell them to do, I feel way better about USC in this game. That's what that's what shortens the gap is the talent. You know, USC is so – even as bad as Helton is as a coach, USC is so much more talented than Washington, who I think Washington's the least talented they've been in the last four or five years overall. Yeah. Not, at, not just a defensive back. They're fine there, but overall – all positions across the board. I don't. I don't think they're as talented as they've been, and they're definitely not as deep. And I just, 
I'm, I'm willing to give USC the benefit of a doubt. Yeah. Of you're a little fired up because you, you don't have any room to give now. Lost to BYU means, just yes. like Oregon, yes. you're looking at a Pac-12 title. You're not looking at a national title. Right. Uh, you got to win out. And it starts with this Washington game. Neutralizer, though. It's at Washington. Right. But, but is it, though? I mean... That's a pretty... That's a pretty it's not or it's not Austin Stadium, but that's a pretty intense place to play. No, that's a tough crowd. Yeah. I mean, you got a lot of readers. That it's probably going to rain. Otherwise, probably going to rain. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking private jet and quick flight. I don't know how much of a, of a factor that might be. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, the only reason I say that is because they're on their third string quarterback. USC is. That's fair. And it's his technically this will be his first start. He played almost all of the last game, but this will be his first start. Yeah. So. Eh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Game of the week. No doubt that's game of the week. That's a testament to that offense, yeah. too. Game of the week. Like, like they've got five of the best receivers in the country. Right. And they scheme for those five incredible receivers. Yeah. And so... As you would. It's just like, hey, you know, can can the ball boy throw some passes out here? Yeah. Maybe, maybe we put Clay Helton in a helmet for a little bit, see him try. Yeah. I I don't know if that fails. No. I, no, I don't, I don't either. Uh... Do you want you want no, to hear some from I me? I want to hear two to give me a couple. Okay, so so you nailed three that I have. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a Golden Domer homer. Right. I, I just I know you are. It, it, and when they're in the top twenty five, yeah. And when they're reeling off a loss, I I do want to see that game and I want to see what impact that has. Um, one game you might not have. I have no freaking idea how UCLA won on Saturday. Yep. I got to watch the Bruins again. I got to see if they can do that again. And they can. I mean, it's Arizona. I mean, Kevin Sumlin is out of his. I don't know what he's doing down there. I mean, they're just, they're not very good. They're not developing. They're not getting better. They're not recruiting well. Um, and I'm not trying to pick on Kevin Sumlin. It's just you, you objectively you have to look at those things, you know, through a filter. And we're from afar, and it's easy to look at Arizona and say like, okay, well they're not playing great football. They don't seem to really be getting better, and they don't recruit well. So what's you know in UCLA, I think the jury's still out. They recruit okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chip can develop guys. I just don't know what he has. Uh, yeah, I I have that one on my list, okay. but I also have seven games on there, and that was like the last. I kind of threw that one on the end. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's Pac-12 after dark, Saturday night, have a beer, watch Chip Kelly, see what – I think DTR played the game of his life in that game. I don't know if it was like an out-of-body experience. I don't know if he can repeat it. Did you watch that game? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched three quarters of it. I, d- I didn't see much of the first quarter. I saw second, third, and fourth though. That might be the best college football game I've ever seen. It's awesome. It was fun. It's fun, and I get it. You know what? Here's the thing, Oregon fans. You know, oh, yeah. Look, it's fun to score, but yeah, it is fun to score a bunch of points. But it's no fun to score a bunch of points and lose like Wazoo did. <laughs> yeah. So take so take your twenty-one six win over Stanford and shut up. How about this? Wazoo threw for nine touchdown passes. <laughs> nine touchdown right. passes. Right. That's incredible. Would you rather win ugly or lose pretty? Uh, I'm a Raider fan, there man. You go. Just win, baby. You'd, yeah, you'd rather win anything. The, uh, the, here's, the, here's the quote for Duck fans. Here's, here's the dream for me. I can't believe I get to say this. I'm a diehard Raider fan. Al Davis, famously, when the Raiders won their second Super Bowl, this is way back in the time machine, 1980, they interview him after the game. And he's drunk, and he's got a Lombardi in his hand, and he's over the moon, right? He's so happy. Says a speech that the Ducks need to think about right now. When you have great coaches, and then you have great coaches, you get great players. And when you have great players, 
you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. That's it. 21-6, who cares? Yep, they just, won. Just win. Just win. So you got UCLA and Zona. So you got one more. I got one more. Yeah. Um, really, uh, really weird week, honestly. Um, yeah, it is. If I had to take a stab at it, <clears throat> I would probably go with uh, Bama and Ole Miss just because oh, in okay. years past, yeah. Ole Miss has played them tough. They have. And there's always that one game every year where, like last year, it was the Citadel game. Yeah. Right? Where the Citadel gets that lead on Bama and everyone's freaking out like the end times are near. They start watching the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's always that There's always that one game every year where, I don't know if they partied a little too hard the night before right. or, or what, or Saban just wanted to challenge these guys. Always that one game where Bama slips up. Yeah. So I'm not saying it happens this week, but it might. See, in years past, in my experience, when Ole Miss did that, and they have done that, is they were at pretty good length at wide receiver, which has always been Bama's Achilles as far as a, as far as defending goes. Yeah. I don't think they have that this year. No. I didn't put that one because I just think they're going to get that one handled. Yeah, they don't have a DK yeah. Metcalf I don't blame year. you for putting that one, though. I don't blame you. I saw it. I saw it. What is that? So that's your five. That's, that's all five. five. Okay, that's your five. So um, I, I put a couple more down, and we may as well fill them out. I've got Stanford at Oregon State. Only for the simple fact that I think Stanford's going to beat the crap out of Oregon State this week. Wow. See, this is the rare like time. pound them. This is the rare time where we differ. Pound and, them. And your readers, of course, are going to love this because they know where I'm going to go. I think the Beavers get an upset this week. I, th- I think here's and here's why I bring this game up. We don't need to talk. We don't we aren't going to talk about it. Let's not talk about it. But I bring this game up because uh, if you read Scoop Duck and you read the juice, you heard me talk about Devin Williams. I think Stanford's going to pound Oregon State, and that's going to that's going to play a factor in the Devin Williams saga. You think that he's going to switch? You think he's going to like like I'll bail? I'll just leave it at that. He's on the roster right now. I'll just leave it at that. Wow. I mean, he's on the roster. I know they, they talked to Jonathan Smith yesterday. He was grinning ear to ear. Yeah. I I look at this. I saw a Stanford team that tried to run the ball. Yes. And they couldn't do it. Right. Ducks stopped the run. I saw a Oregon team smash it down their throats and play physical, and Stanford couldn't stop it. I think that the teams that challenge Oregon State are teams that can spread them out and get them in motion, and I just don't know if Stanford has that ability. I think if they try to play the way they did against Oregon, I think Oregon State has a pretty good offensive line, and they've got a pretty good running game, and in theory... Now, this is all on Jonathan Smith. I yeah. don't really trust him. I haven't seen him do this. But in theory, Oregon State has the pieces, if you scheme the right way, to really bully Stanford. Hmm. I, yeah, maybe I, I'm, maybe I'm no, crazy. Maybe no, I'm I, too far into it. I see. So like we were talking about with USC and Washington, I see way too significant of a talent gap here in Oregon State and Stanford. And I just think at the end, Stanford's going to bully him around. I, you know, I, I, think, I think David Shaw is – has made the right decision to try and simplify things and go back to being somewhat conservative and keep the game in reach. And I think, I think they can, you know, I think they can push it past Oregon state. I, we'll see. I put it down. And, hey, you know what? It's a four o'clock game. It's on the PAC 12 network. Nobody gets to see it. Right. So, you know, yeah, PAC 12 Oregon for the five people that have <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I will say this about that game. We, we threw out the idea of Clay Helton versus Chris Peterson, yeah. coach versus coach right. and, and everything else out. If you just look at coaching, 
David Shaw is a ten, and Jonathan Smith might be a two. Right, that's the ten too. And then, yeah. and then you're talking about William you know, Stanford's at in Corvallis, but I mean, there's only going to be thirty five people in the stands, and, and that's and really those are true. the parents. Those are the parents. I, you know, my I do my radio show. Uh, a Beaver fan came out to Abby's Pizza last night where I was doing my show. The only one. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. And. Uh, a diehard Beaver fan sure. goes to the games, and he went to the Cal Poly game because we gave him free tickets. And he said, "Matt, it was really depressing. There were ten thousand people there, and and that's a game where you know the Beavs were going to win. Yeah, it was a a home game in September when a lot of them. It's the the first Saturday home game they've had all year. Yeah." Um, and free tickets from every radio station in the state. Yeah, practically. everybody was getting free everybody tickets. was giving them free yeah. tickets, and only ten thousand people showed up. Yeah, and that's I'm embarrassed. I mean, like, let's be real. I don't even think there was ten thousand. That's pretty. That's probably pretty generous. Yeah, which is fine. You know, the what? Ducks I, get more than that for their spring game. Yeah. No, I know a lot of Oregon State fans around the valley here that I run into, and we talk, and we, you know, I have, you know, it's, but I, most of them are pretty realistic about where things are at there for the most part. You know. Yeah. So, you it's know, not pretty, you know, no, it's, 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 it's a, it's a rebuild. Um, I'll wrap this up. I wrote down, uh, actually, I'm uh, I wrote down Ohio state and Nebraska for the simple fact that everybody thought Nebraska was a top 20 team to begin the season, which I again, didn't see and thought was bollocks. So I'm pretty sure Ohio state's going to put it on them. I think that was just a factor of. All the respect that Scott Frost had garnered at UCF. Had earned at UCF. Like yes. He was a damn good coach at UCF. And there was a lot of good talent there, as we're seeing. Because UCF still a damn good football team. Right. And Scott Frost isn't there. So, you know, I, I'm not picking on Scott Frost. That's not what I'm doing. I hope he turns Nebraska around. It'd be a great story. But um, jury's still out for me on that particular topic. So, wish him all the success. I have no ill will, but jury's still out for me. And I'm surprised, but... I mean, Wazoo at Utah. I just was really disappointed with Wazoo last week. Yeah, I I think that I don't think I don't think the pirate took you. I don't think the pirate took Chip seriously. I I, think, I know I know you're still really fond of him, and so am I. Yeah, I, like you wrote on Scoop Duck this week. You think that's going to be the toughest game for the Ducks this year? Is that Wazoo game? I do. I just think if they can't win while throwing nine touchdown passes. How are they going to beat a team like Oregon that has a better defense right. and, and can play more physical on the lines? How are they going to beat a team like Washington that punched them in the mouth last year? Yeah. No, we can't I, take that team seriously. We can't, but Utah lost to USC. So, what? I mean, what do we do? What do we know? I mean, what do we know? I mean, yeah. it's just – so, to me, that's a game of like – that's another game just like USC and UW, uh, you know, Oregon and Stanford this past week. Like, okay, we finally get to see – we get the barometer here. Where, where are these guys at? Where's Wazoo's at? Wazoo at? Where's Utah at? You know, I think we get a little bit more of a measuring stick on both of them. Question for you. If you're the Pac-12 and you got a bunch of teams right now that are eating their own, right? Right. Wazoo gets tripped up by UCLA. Uh, Washington gets tripped up by Cal. Right. Utah loses to USC. Right. Would you rather have a conference like the SEC where... You've got one team that is clearly above everybody. Or the ACC, same or, thing. Or the ACC. Yeah. And a bunch of teams at the bottom. Right. Or would you rather have a conference where 
you don't have a national title contender, right. but you've got six 10-win teams. That's done nothing but hurt the Pac-12 conference the last four or five years. Every year, this seems to happen to some degree, and I think it's even more now. And, oh, it's because the Pac-12 isn't very good. There are a bunch of okay teams beating up on other okay teams. That's what happens. That's That will be the national sentiment at some point here. You know, oh, you know, it's it's it's... It'll be, oh, it's Oregon and Washington and nobody else is what it'll be in a couple weeks. And it's just not fair. Like, you know, the the people keep giving, the people have given the SEC so much love for, the, for a decade plus. And realistically, who's any good that's come out of that conference and not named Bama? Right. Who? Nobody. Nobody's, you know, LSU's good here and there. Auburn's good here and there. Georgia's good a year. But consistently, none of them are actually good football teams or i shouldn't say good great football teams and so the pac-12 goes and does the same thing and you know oh they're just a bunch of average teams eating up on each other it's not it's and then and then for whatever reason the acc's gotten a pass because the acc got a pass because clemson became good and now they're elite and i don't question that at the time, before a certain someone got to Florida State, they were pretty good year in and year out. So you had two teams that kind of pulled up the rest of that conference. They never had anyone else that was any good out of them. Miami hasn't been good for, I don't know, 15 years. You know, what, what else do you have out of the – you don't. I mean, North Carolina hasn't – North Carolina had a couple good years, you know, eight or nine years ago, whatever it was, and then got into all the trouble that got them to all those winning. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's I don't, I don't get – yeah, that, that was a pretty good NFL team a couple years ago. The, the Big 12. <laughs> I mean, the Big 12. Everybody pro, it props up Texas and props up Oklahoma State. And in reality, it's been Oklahoma and everybody else for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, Texas Tech was fun to watch because they scored a bunch of points, but they really weren't that good of a football team. So I don't get it, and I don't know how I don't know how the narrative has changed it, It's it, because it's gone on for 10 years, but... You know, and the Pac-12 hasn't always been good. I'd have to say during the chip years, it wasn't very good. It was it was Oregon, it was USC most years, and then sometimes Stanford would be Stanford would be good, but they would definitely be a thorn in Oregon's side. They had the blueprint on Oregon, but they were good. Mm-hmm. But again, it would be Oregon and everybody else, and then as soon as Oregon lost, nobody had a shot, you know, because the conference is not that good. So I, I don't know. Whatever. So, so those are your five games. And, yeah. And you threw in a couple more. Yeah, just, I got. I just. I had a cut. There's no duck game, so you may as well enjoy. It. Look, we're at the quarter point, people. Right. You've blinked, and there we're at the quarter point already. What's uh, What's J Hop HQ look like on Saturday? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think. Uh, so last weekend, uh, Mike, get one, two, three, four. Last weekend between. Friday and Monday, my kids had six soccer games and a cross-country meet. Wow. Right, Saturday, Saturday. So this weekend is a little less. I think we only have two soccer games. I have a track meet after – I have a cross-country meet later today, which is Thursday. No, nothing on Friday. <gasps> nothing on Friday. So I get to watch a Friday night football game. And then Saturday I've got two – Saturday I've got two soccer games, Sunday a soccer game, and – uh, a cross country meet on Saturday. Now, so does, I'm going to watch football when I can. Does that mean you're watching the uh, Friday Pac-12 game? Oh, or no does question. That mean you're you're going to speak watching the high school game. No, I'm going to be watching college football, okay. enjoying it at home on the projector with a beer, enjoying enjoying just not having to go somewhere. And, and I love watching my kids' sports. 
I, I do my work around that. I always, you know, I'm looking at the calendar each week, like, okay, I got to, you know, make sure that I'm available here to try and, you know, that's why we're doing the podcast today. You know, Tucker or Cooper had a, uh, St. Mary soccer game yesterday. Uh, he scored two goals on varsity. That was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm always, <laughs> that's what I look at every week. So, okay. What, what games do we have? And it's madness. It's pure madness. Are you a quiet parent when you watch your kid play or are you a crazy parent? I'm a quiet parent. Yeah. No, I'm a quiet parent, and uh, my my yelling and aggravation days are over. I used to be pretty hard on Cooper, my oldest, uh, when we were doing football, when I was coaching football and soccer together. And then, like, I don't know, he's so he's a freshman now. And then mm, three, four years ago, I, I totally stopped, like, not stopped coaching. I kept coaching, but I stopped yelling. I just, you know, and then after the game, he usually comes up to me now. He's like, Dad, what, you know, what, what, you know, what would you see? And I'd say, hey, look, you did this and this well. And, you know, maybe this week in practice you could work on this and this. And that's it. We're done. We go to dinner and I'm over it. You know, I, I support them. I'm out there. I tell them good job. I try and be positive and, uh, you know, try and share stuff on Facebook and let them know that I'm proud. And uh, other than that, I just let it go. Yeah, it blows me away sometimes seeing how crazy people get. Oh, yeah. No, I sit there and I'll turn around and look at people like, what the hell is your problem? You know, <laughs> I mean, I get it. everybody's excited. They're invested and they're, ex- you know, I mean, you want your kids to do well. And, uh, you know, I've learned that like coaching and talking to Cooper and Tucker, my two boys, I have to do it differently with them. Tucker, after the game, I have to be and Tucker's a tremendous soccer player. He's he's played up a year or two for the past few years. I've finally put him in his own grade. That's great. And he just destroys everybody. He's a tremendous soccer player. He's really good. And Cooper's a good soccer. He's you know Cooper's a freshman starting on varsity, and he's got four or five goals through four games this year. He's doing great too. Really proud of both of them. But um, Tucker, after the game, I have to give him positive only and be done. And then if there's anything I want to mention to him, I have to wait a day or two. It just he's that way. So and I figured it out, which is fine. And I'm not mean about it. like, hey, Tuck, you know, on the other, you know, the other day in your game, you know, you held on the ball a little bit too long. Maybe if you pass it a little sooner, it might it might not get stolen or whatever. Yeah, okay, Dad. And that's it. That's I mean, that's the extent of it. So, but I love going to watch these kids' games. Tucker's, uh, you know, Tucker again, cross country, uh, middle school. He signed up one day. They'd already started. He signed up one day, and they had a, a meet the next day. And the coach is like, I'm not sure if I can get him on the roster. We've already had to put the roster in. I was like, cool, no problem, don't worry. Puts him on the roster one day of practice. And uh, so boys all run together, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Well, he finished 10th out of all three grades and was the second 6th grader to come across after one day of practice. Wow. It's like, okay. so uh, That's a good sign. They're right gifted. There. They're healthy. I'm happy. You know, I, I have very little to complain about. Yeah. We have our podcast. We have beer. I mean, football. Going full circle, talking yeah. scoop duck positivity. Yeah, no, I actually, yeah, I'm doing a podcast later tonight with somebody else that's more geared towards, uh, you know, like personal background stuff and stuff like that. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so it'll be that I'll end up doing uh, tonight after the cross country meet. Is that like like an interview of you? I they're, guess they're just going to learn like Justin Hopkins, apparently ESPN, Justin yeah. Hopkins, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm not that interesting. That's I, not true. Man. I run around and. And watch kids play sports and, and drink beer on occasion. Hey, hey, you're you're talking yourself down, but I'll I'll just say this and we'll leave it at that. If if you want to learn about the interesting life of Justin Hopkins, just watch his cell phone. Oh yeah. <laughs> watch your cell phone for like thirty minutes. Like I see right. it every time we record these pods, man. Right. Your phone is in a constant state of explosion. Yeah. And I'm trying to 
ignore it because I know there's times where I'm looking at it and, and you'll be talking and I don't catch everything. Nope. I got to pay attention because I need to respond, you know, uh, you know, the right way to some of your comments or questions or whatever. It's like, I got to, I can't do that. So I try and put it aside for an hour, but yeah, it's been a, a pretty hectic one so far this morning. It's like, I, I, I don't know Adam Schefter personally, right. but I have used the Adam Schefter comparison a yeah. couple times. It's yeah. Like, I can only imagine his, you know, his during football season, you know, He's got to want to take his phone and th- throw it in the spring. I would <laughs> Into a I mean, lake. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I do. I get points where <laughs> literally the only thing I want to do is put my – and it weird. it's weird. I get weirded out now when I don't have my phone for like 20 or 30 minutes. Like, you know, what's – you know, and then you go back and you look at it. It's like, oh, crap. I got to respond to all this. 2019. Yeah. No, it is. All right. Uh, I, I don't feel right doing a lock it in. Do you have any, no, any no, locks No, I mean, week? you could lock in a game. If you, you got an upset for this weekend, is there a lock it in there? No. <sighs> you know, I really can't. USC or UW, who do you got? Uh, USC. You've got USC? I've got UW. I think coaching wins out there. Yeah. Again, you're a 10 versus a 2. Yeah, I, I'm going to give the talent the benefit and of And you're doubt. picking Oregon State over Stanford? I am. I am. I just I love the matchup for the Beaver line and for a healthy Jamar Jefferson. I I think that it's going to be a close game. I'm not saying they blow them out because this is the worst team in the Pac-12. Right. But Stanford is the second worst team in the Pac-12. Yeah. If, I, if yeah. the last yeah. two weeks. Arizona is probably, probably below them. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. They're down there. Uh, ASU Cal. Uh, ooh, my heart says this would be a great Pac-12 win for ASU. Right. Like, the Pac-12 viest game yes. is ASU stunning Cal. Oregon needs Cal. But yeah, Oregon needs Cal to win. The Pac-12 needs team. Cal to win. The Pac-12 needs Cal to win, Oregon to win. We need as many, yes. you know, 3 and 1s, 4 and O's matching up against each other just to prop up the conference really. Just just pure matchup, it's going to be Cal. Uh so I've got I'll I'll go with Cal there and I went with Stanford over Oregon State. Uh Wazoo at Utah. Utah. Yeah, Utah. I agree. Uh UCLA at Zona. Ooh, ooh! You know, I just had Chase Coda on my show yesterday. Nice local kid, USC, uh, UCLA. Had a huge standout. game. Huge game. He had two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Almost had a hail mary touchdown. Yeah, yep. one yard short. I got to go with UCLA. Yeah, I got. I'm going with UCLA. I just, I think, I think Kevin Sumlin's a, a dead man walking down at Arizona. And you mentioned DTR, and we've picked on him all year. Yep. He's he's just not good enough no. for Chip's offense. No. That but, was a fluke game, I think, in my opinion. But if it wasn't, if that was a turning point game, all of a sudden UCLA could be good. Yeah, but we won't get a real measuring stick there for them. We won't get it from this because I think they should beat Arizona even if you get bad DTR. If you get good DTR, you'll destroy them. And I'm still not sold that it wasn't a fluke against Wazoo. Hmm. I mean, it's Pac-12 after dark. It's like literally – like gives some people superhuman powers. It's crazy. Usually a quarterback of the losing team. Nine touchdowns. Right. And Wazoo lost. Right. There's literally kryptonite or something in Pac-12 after dark. You know, this is why I don't like Washington State anymore. You know, the moment the Pirate lost me, minute left in that game, and Wazoo has the ball, and UCLA has timeouts. Right. Any coach in the country, Runs. any high school coach, any right. Peewee football coach knows a minute left. I'm going to make my opposing team burn those timeouts. Yep. I'm going to run the ball. Yep. What does Pirate draw up? An out route to the sideline. Yep. His receiver tries to uh, shift the ball from one hand to the other so he can stiff arm a corner. And what happens? Fumbles the football. Right. UCLA takes it and they win the game. Right. 
No, I agree with you. I think stupid. The fumble was the fluke part of it, but the stupid part was not running the ball. Run yeah. the ball, even if you suck at running the ball. Run the ball. Make them use their timeouts. Get it down to fifty seconds or forty-five or whatever you can do with no timeouts, and make them beat you. That it, that's the part of that game. You talk about flukes in that game. That's the part that just makes me scratch my head. Mario probably had his probability chart in hand, looking at that game, going, "What are you doing, right. Leech?" Right. Yeah, Mario would have never called. That's that. like six percent odds right there. If, if Marcus Arroyo ever called that play, oh, I guarantee it'd be his you last play. <laughs> Mario would sprint to the pre- timeout on the field, and Mario sprints to the press box yeah. and yanks him out of the press box and fires him on the it'd spot. It'd be his last play. That's yeah. a fact. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, there you go. I think that's a wrap. No lock of the week. No player of the week because there's no game. So we'll save those for next week and. Uh, Hopefully we'll have a couple. We'll have. I think we'll have at least one guest next week. I've already lined up. Uh, I know we'll have one. So if we. Oh no! I'm sorry. We'll have two. We will have two guests Sweet. already. So don't let me book any more people. I won't. We already have two. <laughs> yeah. A, uh, a berserk lineup. Two set. good ones though. Two great ones though. Two great ones next Ooh. week. I'm excited. The teaser. Yeah. The anticipation. Well, if you want to find out who those guys are, you'll just have to listen to us yeah. next week. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Find it on Apple Podcasts. Find it on Stitcher. Uh, find it wherever you want to listen to your podcasts. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. And check it out online as well. ScoopDuck.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. I can do this night. Hey,